So it is, a, it is actually quite sweet, it's quite lovely uh, experience for me to be here on the Angela Center campus and have my sisters here leading this retreat, and being able to share meals together and have time to go for walks, and it's just been lovely. We have over 20 years of history together, and for me, my experience with the Angela Center goes back to the early 80s, I started going on retreats here. In fact, the first retreat that I ever taught was here at the Angela Center with Ajahn Amaro in 96. So there's a, a kind of a sweet full circle that I feel being here right now. It feels like a time that's rich and full of blessings, and so I'm enjoying it very much. And so I haven't been as involved in this retreat as the, the, as the bhikkhunis here in terms of presence with you and feeling um, your movements during the day, but even in the peripheral and what I have been able to see is watching settling and watching a brightness of face and more kind of clarity of your own energetic fields as you move through the day and, and bring a lot of care and attention to the meditation practices. It certainly was sweet being part of the New Year's ceremony last night. And one of the things I wanted to speak about this morning or this evening was the was the um, just the theme of letting go. Certainly, in our meditation practice, it comes up in many different ways, in many different expressions, in many different forms, and it's something to return to again and again and again is the theme of letting go. And when I was in in Thailand at Wat Pananacha, one of the it was sweet because the, the Wat Pananacha Chan is the foreign monastery of Ajahn Chan. A number of his quotes are written in, in longhand and painted on boards and hung in the trees. And one of the quotes that I like very much is, is that if you let go a little, you'll have a little bit of peace. If you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of peace. And if you let go completely, you'll have complete peace. And this um, touches me very deeply because it rings true with my own experience. And when I'm looking at what does letting go a little mean? You know, how do I experience letting go a little? Well, certainly one of the ways that I can know that is, is, is that in the affirmation of the precepts and in the affirmation of non-harming, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is, is that for most of us, for many of us, we have a, an ongoing tape about ways in which we, we shame or blame or belittle or criticize or undermine or berate ourselves. And when we take the commitment to refrain from harm, we really need to have a time out on believing or following or... Mm, making 
these kinds of loops something that is true. We need to observe them, know them for what they are, and not follow them. And for many of us, these, these thoughts that are shaming or belittling or criticizing or diminishing or harsh towards ourselves are like wallpaper. It's so embedded we don't even see it. Until, of course, we come on a retreat. <laughs> and then we see it all the time. <laughs> and we're wanting or hoping or wishing that, you know, the loops will stop. So the commitment to the precepts, the integrity to refrain from doing harm, is a timeout. It's a pausing. It's a way of saying, okay, this stuff is arising. I can watch it arising. I don't need to follow it. I don't need to believe in it. I don't need to deny it. I don't need to get rid of it. But I need to be clear, this is not useful. It's not wholesome. It's not who I ultimately am. So the commitment to integrity on that level gives us the opportunity from moving into the incessant habit of just following and believing stuff that isn't actually good for anybody. Nobody benefits from those kinds of thoughts. In fact, I think that in a, you know, in a court of law, if we were to speak to other people with the same way that we spoke to ourselves, it would be liable. <laughs> probably be a fat lawsuit that we would be able to win. It's just, it's not helpful. It's not useful. It's, it's harmful. And so the quality of recognizing that the precepts, the commitment to non-harm means that it translates or it can translate into what we do with our attention when we notice this stuff arising gives us an opportunity to recognize a way of letting go that habit. And for myself, there's peace that comes from that. So you have to explore for yourself what is the result. You know, how does it actually impact you? How do you feel when you don't follow that kind of thinking? So the movement towards integrity helps create a container and that container gives us the opportunity to reflect on whether our intention, our behavior, our speech is conducive or not conducive. And that movement helps supports us getting in touch with our own goodness, our own value, our own aspiration to wake up. And that movement then allows our experience to be more one of relaxation and confidence. Now, one of the, one of the images in the Angela Center that is, is hugely potent for me, I imagine many of you have been over there, is that right? To the Angela Center? No. A few, yes. Not so many. Half-half. There's an image of an androgynous Christ that's in the corner. And this image is both male and female, and um, there's a split in the wood that's naturally occurring from the pubis all the way up to the heart. And there's something about this image that really captures my... It's, it's, it's compelling for me. And it's compelling for me because it touches um, some places that have been places that have been a source of a lot of pain. 
when I was a young woman coming here in the early 80s, going on meditation retreats, one of the things that I was navigating for quite a long time was just the, the experience of trying to resolve or release sexual trauma. So to see this image of this androgynous Christ with the split from the pubis all the way up to the heart was a visual image of an internal experience that I was processing. Now, these big things that we have to deal with, and I don't have not yet met anyone who doesn't have one, or them, or many, they're not small, they're not simple, they don't go away in a week-long retreat. It takes a consistent and persistent meeting and, and, and feeling out and learning how to relax with and understanding and getting underneath of. And then over years, then there's release and there's, there's more sense of ease in the body and more sense of resolution and completeness. So that's true with that was true for me with that particular theme, but it was also true for me, and it has continued to be true for me, about just the split between the masculine and the feminine, in terms of how I experience that myself, and in the ways that manifests in the world around me, and the kind of the dichotomy of how to hold the ability to be spacious and open and receptive, and the ability to be engaged and directive and um, sharp. So as an internal experience, the navigation of the masculine and the feminine has also been a big theme. How I experience it, how I feel it in myself, how I feel it in the world around me, and the challenges when it has been out of balance. And in this one as well, it has not been the weekend project, you know. It's been decades. And sometimes it feels like it feels well and balanced and I feel um, able to understand and discern and sometimes it feels like it goes wonkadoodle and it's out and I need to look at what's going on. And that's true in my own internal experience and I've observed that I can sometimes feel that or notice that in the world around me. Sometimes what, it, what I identify as you know, masculine values or principles can become coalesced into something which is uh, isolating or harsh or judgmental. And um, the feminine, or what I perceive as receptive and open and allowing, and in relationship, suffers. Mm. Aida Madeira is my bhikkhuni colleague, and she's living in Shakti Mahara, which is the place that I started in Colorado Springs. And just this week, a few days ago, she sent me a chapter that she Xeroxed out of a book of Brene Brown's. It's called Rising Strong. It's chapter 8, and it's called Easy Mark. And I love Brene Brown. Her writing is just so moving to me in the way that she brings together a deep insight and understanding in her research on vulnerability and how she experiences it in the world. And in this chapter, she's describing a number of things, and one of them that was very compelling to me was just that her mother um, had taken ill and just collapsed on the street, and there, she and her husband and the other brothers and sisters rushed to the hospital, and they're waiting to figure out what's happening, what's going on, and 
there's several hours where they're in the waiting room just trying to watch and notice and, and, and until they can talk to anybody, until they have any information. And so when they finally do get to see her, she describes in this exquisite detail of the... She, when they're waiting in the waiting room, she describes this detail of, of watching her body strengthen and this armament coming over her and her jaw clenching and going into the mode of being the protector. And wanting to sort out and organize everyone and everything. And so then when they get to talk to mom finally, the two of them, that's their favorite strategy, is to organize. And so they are making lists of, you know, what needs to happen and who needs to do what and where the medicines are and who's going to take care of the house. And they, they're just, they're in mode. And so she gets the list and she's deciding, okay, this sister's going to do that and that brother's going to do that and that brother's going to do that. No, I know where that is, and I know where that is, and I know where that is. I feel much more confident doing all of them. <laughs> and, then, and then one of her sisters, or a couple of their sisters, look like they're not doing very well with this conversation, and they look at each other, and then they look at her, and they say to her, you're over-functioning. <laughs> Which with that family is code for stop and reflect and turn inward and look at what's underneath that that's going on. And somehow the combination of the situation and the tone of their voice and where she was at, in a, she just started sobbing because she could feel the pain that the strategy was trying to keep her from feeling. The strategy of over-functioning was keeping her from feeling the pain of her own vulnerability, her own sadness, and her own unwillingness to feel the need that was present in her, the need for comfort, the need for solace, the need for assurance, the need not to feel afraid that she didn't know what was going to happen to her mom. And so for me, any time we are aware of strategies that we are engaging in, we know what they are, and we turn our attention to what is underneath that strategy and receive it, then we have the opportunity of letting go a lot. And this letting go a lot is something that can generate a lot of peace. Now, in that book, she's quite careful to have things in balance by saying that, you know, some people have the strategy of overfunctioning, and other people have the strategy of underfunctioning, and both of these are just simple strategies that different people have adopted in order to cover the pain of need. In one situation, it's the pain of feeling need, and in the other situation, it's, it's the pain of wanting or needing. Yeah. But in both, they are strategies. And like any strategies, they are covering something. And when we turn our focus of attention to what they are covering, we have an opportunity for a, a deep shift. 
Now, in, in all of these examples, certainly there's a lot of opportunity for the Brahma-vihara to come into fruition. When we touch the what is actually present, and we bring to ourselves a feeling of kindness and well-being that gives us the capacity to meet what is arising without judgment. We can notice the habit, we can notice the pattern, we can notice the tendency to move into reactivity, and instead of following it, we can lean back into that quality of kindness that is just touching and meeting what is. We touch it into ourselves, we bring it to ourselves, and we bring it into the circumstance of what it is that we are feeling. When we know how this works in ourselves, then we can also know how this is actually operating for somebody else. When we see somebody else triggered and activated and operating in strategy mode, rather than judge them for what they are doing, we can tune in to the pain of where it's coming from. We can be present and quiver underneath with the pain of where it's coming from. We can know compassion. We can know it for ourselves as we open up to the fullness of our experience and touch some of these layers and hold them as they reveal themselves and release. And as we touch that in ourselves, it gives us capacity and resource to be able to do that with others. I've never seen anybody who was acting from a strategy that wasn't coming from a place of pain. On some level, underneath. Like that. But you see, the other thing that comes as we touch all of this and allow it to release is, is that as it clears and as things open up, as we begin to have more capacity to have time out on the tendency to follow these habits which mm, criticize ourselves or shame ourselves, where we walk out or abandon ourselves, when we understand our own tendencies and look at the emotional layers that are underpinning them and have the ability and resource to observe and to watch and to allow it to release, then rather than being filled with turbulent mind states, what happens is just that we can experience quite a lot of joy. Just the spontaneous joy of being present. Now, it, it happened that the, the reason why my cell phone went off was because one of my students was navigating um, suicidal thoughts, and I don't have a lot of experience with that, so I had reached out to one of the board members who's a social worker to ask for some feedback. And I had been very careful that the phone was switched off so that it wouldn't ring, and then I looked at the sign on the door and said, no cell phone, and I thought, well, I've got it switched off, I'll be okay, I've got it on vibrate mode, and it'll be in my pocket so that I'll be able to notice the vibration, and if it rings, if my friend calls me to give me some advice on how to navigate this, I can just hear the vibration and quietly get up and walk out the door. Well, 
things don't always work out the way you plan them. <laughs> and because it was in my pocket underneath all these ropes, I couldn't get to it. And I didn't understand why, when I turned it off, it kept ringing. Until I realized that there was another button that I didn't turn off, which was the button that says, it will allow it to ring if there's a repeated call. So I left and I felt um, mortified. And it, the mortification landed in something that was a big structure for me. And so in addition to waiting up to see if the sheriff would call me to find out if my student was safe, I was in loops with all kinds of thoughts about the, the distress and the disturbance that I had caused the entire meditation community. And so I was activated. And a little bit like this. And I came out the door one the morning time and and the, the birds were filled up in the tree and they were just this cacophony of bird song. So from from feeling the turbulence of the thinking and just turning my attention to look at the birds and hearing their song, just for that moment, there was this upwelling of joy, you know, being met, seeing receiving that exquisite fullness of their soul. Now the other quality that comes through is the quality of equanimity. And equanimity comes both as we are navigating these complex structures that take their time to release, And equanimity comes when we are not being so triggered by them. And in all of these situations, it is part of the process of what happens when we are letting go a lot. Now, what does letting go completely look like? And for me, when I think about letting go completely, I think about you know, what happens for me when I'm in Colorado Springs and I'm very close to a very powerful land formation and I go there regularly. And there's just a, a, a way in which it's like a, an, a deep invitation, an easy place for attention to just drop into an awareness that pervades everything. So for me, I'm sensitive to land and to the energies of land. And sometimes I can feel that there's a magnificent tree that's actually on the Angela Center property. And the way to get to it is to go up and through the gate and then down again. And it's a very old oak tree. And sometimes with these old oak trees, I can feel that same thing where it's like you're dropping through time into a, into a way of being present that's different than the ordinary way of being present that I'm familiar with. And in this dropping, there's a relaxation of resistance to what is present. And and in that relaxation, the mind starts to open into something which is actually quite vast, quite timeless, and, and quite 
present. It's actually everywhere. It's just that in our ordinary conscious mind, we're not experiencing it. And in that vast, open, timeless, pervasive awareness, there is nothing that separates out as being distinct and a separate component of me that I feel identified with. Me is just another aspect of nature that arises according to conditions and is very um, porous, subject to change, and highly dependent on many conditions. It isn't solid. It isn't fixed. It isn't static. What is most noteworthy is this awareness which is pervasive, timeless, and ever-present. Now, in, in contacting that, what I see is, is that even if I can, like when I go to the Garden of the God, sometimes I can go and feel quite agitated. But that dropping through those layers allows me to experience no resistance to the agitation. And as the awareness opens up into a field that is vast, the agitation takes on a uh, a relative insignificance. It becomes like the smallest thing in this huge, vast field. And so it doesn't have the same internal experience is when I feel small and it feels enormous. It's like turning the table where all of a sudden what I'm experiencing is absolutely enormous and the agitation is just like, you know, the grain of the sand. Or rice or something. Or one ant walking on a tabletop. It doesn't have a lot of impact. And so this deep and profound letting go of attachment, of who I think I am, of my body, of my thoughts, of my feelings, of my emotions, of the perceptions, of the stories, of the sense consciousness that is arising in relationship to the sense contact, gives rise to this experience of profound peace. The agitation does not need to go away in order for the peace to be there. The agitation is held within a field of peace that is not agitated by it. It's a delicious experience to recognize that who we are and what we are does not need to change. I don't have to get everything all figured out or sorted out. I don't have to make the things that I'm feeling go away. I don't have to have experiences that I'm not having. What is needed is to let go of all traces of identification with any of it. 
And in this profound and deep letting go, then the Brahma-viharas take on a different, different meaning. It isn't so much that I, as a separate individual entity, is cultivating the quality of loving-kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. It's as if I'm in a boundless field that loving-kindness and compassion and joy and equanimity is the essence of who and what I am. It's not something that has to be developed or cultivated or constructed. It isn't something that I bring to experience. It's what I relax into when all of the other things fall away. Now, because of my personality structure, patience and equanimity have not been strong features. I don't know, I didn't know what patience was. I had no experience what equanimity was. I have this, I have had a, like a lifelong tendency towards being a drama queen, you know. And drama queens, for drama queens, equanimity is like death, you know. It's death to the drama queen. But the land has taught me patience and the land has showed me equanimity what that is. You know, the rocks that I hang out with in Colorado Springs are 180 million years old. They were part of the first Rocky Mountains. We're on the third set of Rocky Mountains. And there's something that happens in, in places like that for me where my own habits and personality characteristics and tendencies are not dominating in the same way that they can ordinarily. And I just feel the vibration of the rocks and the land around me and, and have a sense of there isn't anything that I could ever experience or bring to these rocks that's going to move them, shake them, and isn't something that they have witnessed, experienced, and seen millions of times before. It puts things into a very different perspective. And, you know, I tend to be sensitive and feeling some of the things that are going on in this world right now, and it is deeply unsettling. You know, the questions and the doubts and the hows and the ifs and the wheres and the whys and, and just the, the potential impact, it is profoundly unsettling. And I go into that garden of the gods and I relax into that place of awareness and even that is held within a vast, open, spacious, timeless, ever-present field. And it doesn't give me a sense of, well, I have a vision or an answer, or I know what the outcome is going to be. It just leads me to understand that even bigger than the problems that we are navigating now, 
is this field that we can each access. A field that has deep and profound peace as its essence. A field where loving kindness and compassion have a deep reservoir within. They're not pasted on top. Joy, the ability even in a moment of despair to open and turn to joy. An equanimity that is able to hold all of this. And like the rocks, not be agitated by any of it. So we let go a little we have a little peace. We let go a lot when we do the work of looking at our triggers and our habits and our strategies and get underneath them. When we look at the, the compression of structures that have been set up and begin to unpack them and unpeel them, Release them, understand them. When we let go a lot, we have a lot of peace. But even when we let go a lot, we still can locate ourselves as being separate, of being unique, of being a me that is having a this experience. And when we drop through those layers of identification, it's not that we are disallowing our experience. It's just that our mind, our attention is relaxing into something that is not holding on to any aspect of our experience. It's shifting gears. It's moving attention from the objects in this room to the space in this room. All of us can see the space in the room. But most of us are not paying attention to that. We notice the heater, you're looking at me. We're pairing up whether our bodies feel comfortable or not comfortable. We're not noticing the space in the room. 
But it doesn't take being here on this retreat to notice the space in the room. And the space in the room is going to be here whether the room is hot or cold or we're talking or we're not talking or we're chanting, whether the cushions are here or not. The space in the room is going to be here when the retreat is over. The space is going to be here even if the walls of the building fall down. The space is not dependent on the conditions in the room. That quality of awareness that pervades everything is not dependent on the objects that it is able to know. But most of us spend a lot of our lives absorbed and fixated on the objects. We don't notice the space. But it's here. It's everywhere. There's nowhere any of us could ever go where there isn't space. In the same way, that quality of awareness that knows is everywhere we go. It's in the darkest, most difficult, most painful construction, thought, view, mind state. And it's in the most joys. We don't have to get rid of the objects we are experiencing in order to know and relax into the awareness that knows them. When we let go a little, we have a little bit of peace. When we let go a lot, We have a lot of peace. And when we let go completely, there is complete peace. So we have this time of practicing. We have excellent teachers here. You have created a container that is wholesome and supportive. This is the first day of a new year. Can you think of anything that is more important to you? than the direct experience of the peace that comes from letting go. So I offer these words for your reflection this evening. Handamayam gamakataya sadhukaram dadamase 
Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu.